So actually, you're going to be standing to pray. So God, we, so right now, you know, let's, let's, um, let's pray about distraction. So, you know, let's, um, you don't want to be distracted. You went through all this work to get here this morning. So you want to hear from God, right? So let's pray about that. This is your opportunity to pray. So don't just listen to me pray. You pray. So God, just help me with distractions this morning. God, just remove all the distractions from my mind and my heart. God, that I would hear from you. It's my desire. So God, we just, we bring this time under your kingdom authority rule. We pray that you would reign and rule over everything that happens. So God, just open my spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray that right now? Just in your heart, pray to God. Help me to hear and see what you are saying and what you're doing in my life through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we are, um, you don't have a Bible reader this morning? I'm asking you to be your Bible reader because we're going to cover two chapters. And as I was, what was that all about? (laughs) As I was looking through the, just reading through it, it took about 10 minutes just to read through it. So I was like, well, I need that 10 minutes. So the first chapter is going to be chapter 25, and in chapter 25, we are just pretty much going to read through that. This morning, our text leads us to looking at the difference between faith and saving faith. There is a difference between the two, and this morning, I pray that God will help you to see what the difference is. So, one of the most frightening verses in the Bible by most theologians, they agree on this, is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, and Lord, Lord, so that like in, in Hebrew, Aramaic, whenever they would say the word, the name twice, that was to emphasize it. And, and this, would, this would indicate a close relationship from the one who's doing the speaking, okay? They think, anyway, a close relationship. So, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So how important is it to you that you enter the kingdom of heaven? How important is it to you that you are saved and that you know that you are saved? You know, there's something, we talk about distractions, but also it's very easy for us to be self-deceived. You know, it's called a blind spot because we're blind to it. We can't see it. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal that in our lives. So right here is what Jesus said. There's a lot of people, a lot of blind spots. They they think they're going to be entering the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, we can't do the will of the Father unless the Holy Spirit does some transforming in our lives. God, I mean, the Holy Spirit has to change us from the inside out before we can ever even do the will of God. You can't just sit here a day and decide, I'm just going to do the will of God, and I'm just going to force myself into it. I'm going to do it on my own because I'm just that strong and that smart and that good. You will not make it very far with that. It takes the Holy Spirit transforming us. On that day, that's a judgment day coming. The judgment day is coming. We don't talk about that very much. You go back two, three generations, and the preachers, that's all they talked about. We talk about it very little now. I'm guilty of this, just as all the other. I'm not pointing to all the other preachers. They don't talk about it. I'm sorry, me too. We just don't talk about this very much anymore. But it's all, Jesus is preaching here, sir, on the mountain. He's talking about the judgment day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again. Did we not prophesy in your name? So when somebody prophesies, we think, well, that's pretty good. I mean, that dude must be genuine. 
Drive out demons in your name. Another thing that would look at that and say, what's well, somebody could do that? That's pretty genuine. And do many miracles in your name. Performing miracles. I mean, like these, these are not people on the outside looking in. These are people on the inside that are serving and leading. Then I will announce to them, I never, it wasn't that I once knew you. There was never a real genuine relationship between me and you. Never. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Well, I mean, with an exclamation mark and the Greek is pretty strong. So there's a lot of people standing up in front of churches this morning that are preaching that you will not see in heaven. You got that? Yes, sir. Okay. And here's what I say too. On the flip side of that, there's a lot of people this morning that are not in church, never served in church, and that you don't know about that you will see in heaven that you would never expect to see them in heaven. Okay? So, I mean, like, the outward show, what we're seeing right here is that this, this outward thing that we're all looking at that you and I, see, we have to judge by what we see on the outside. Be careful about that with everybody else. But see, here's the situation. The heart, the Bible says, is the most deceitful of all things. I can't even know my own heart. It takes the Holy Spirit revealing to me what even is going on inside my heart. So I'm challenging you today as we look at this text, you'll see our, our natural tendency, our flesh will make us point to other people and go, yeah, that's them. But I'm challenging you today not to be pointing to other people saying, yeah, that's them. But God, look into my heart, Holy Spirit, show me where do I stand? Where, where am I in this story? How does this apply to me, not to my husband, not to my wife, not to my children, or not to my parents, or my friends, or my coworkers. How does it apply? Can, can you do that today? That's my challenge to you. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about me. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6, great theological chapter, John chapter 6. And go read that this week. Study that. No one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up. And there it is again on that judgment day, that last day. So here's what I tell you this morning, dear friend. Listen, this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you say, yes, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved, then you should be thanking God today because he did a miraculous work in your heart. He's the one that enabled you to I me. Mean, like, if you're saying here today, and everything we read here today, it makes sense to you, that's the work of God in your life. The Holy Spirit's enabled you to understand his word. That's enough to rejoice about right there. If you have the desire, if you, if you woke up this morning and you said, man, can't wait to go to church today. You should thank God because God put that in you, your flesh. If you woke up this morning, you're like, oh, God, i got to go to church again. Okay, that's your flesh, okay? That's what we're all dealing with today. Maybe you're not feeling it. Maybe right now you're like, man, you're just a million miles away. You don't want to be here and all that. Listen, totally understandable. That's why I invite you to pray when we start. Because you need the Holy Spirit working in you. Because you know what? You want to waste this time if you don't pray. You will just waste these next 40 minutes. And yeah, it's 40 minutes we got ahead of. Some of y'all right now are like, oh God, we're going to preach the 40 minutes. You need to pray. That's what I'm saying, okay? All right, here we go. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem for Caesarea. Festus is the Roman governor over Judea. He's going up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. This is his home, okay? 
The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul. That Festus summoned him to Jerusalem. So Paul's in Caesarea said, okay, here's what you want to do. Get him to come up to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Now, here's the problem with their plan. God's going to get him to Rome. Doesn't matter what they plan. Doesn't matter what they plot. You can't stop God. I see, here's the thing. We always talk about, you know, I want to live under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Why do I want to do that? Because I am safe there. If I'm really under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, and here's the, listen, here's what you got to understand. Please listen to me. Then I have no anxiety. Then I have no fear. And I have no worry. Because I'm not in control. I'm not the one that's in control of all this. He's the one that's in control. He's going to see that I get to the place where he needs me to be. See, some of y'all are fighting that right now because you want to be where you want to be. You're not interested in where he wants you to be. You want, you're interested in where you want to be. And this is going to talk to you this morning a little bit. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there. He's a Roman ruler. He didn't care what these Jewish dudes say. Therefore, he said, let those of you who have authority to go down with me and accuse him if he's done anything wrong. So he's like, no, I'm going to bring him up to here. If y'all want to see him, y'all go down there and y'all see him. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Sounds like some accusations against someone else named Jesus that they were not able to prove. When Paul made his offense, his apologia in Greek, neither against the Jewish law nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I'm standing, now listen, Paul's a Roman citizen, remember that, okay? He's got, he's got rights as a Roman citizen. I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. What strong words coming from Paul right here? He's talking to the Roman leader right here. I appeal to Caesar. Then after Festus converted with his counsel, he replied, well, you appeal to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. Several days later, King Agrippa, so this is the Jewish king, okay? He's a puppet king, by the way. Rome put him in that position. He's a, so he, here he is, he and Bernice, his sister, See, some of y'all are like, wait, that's weird, and it is weird, okay? That's he and his sister coming together. She has, like, I don't want to get, keep it, keep, keep it rated G this morning. There's children in here, okay? But this is how messed up they were. So I want you to get that. So when King Agrippa comes in, this isn't somebody that looked at and go, wow, man, this is a great, you know, moral leader of our day. Everybody knew that this dude was messed up. The fact is that his sister is with him in the wrong kind of relationship. King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, and they paid a courtesy call to Festus. So let me just help you understand something. 
Nobody liked him and her. They were not popular people to anybody. Since they were staying there several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, man, there's this man who was left as prisoner by Felix. That's the Roman governor before him. I inherited this guy. Here he is. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jewish, the Jews presented their case and asked that he be condemned, because they want him dead. I answered them, that it is not the Roman custom to give someone up before the accused faces the accusers and has an opportunity for a defense against the charges. So when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day, I took my seat at the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought in. The accuser stood up, but brought no charges against him of the evils I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreement with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, man, I'd like to hear the, the band myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, he replied. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came in with great fantasia. That's where we get our word fantasy, big pomp, this big, I mean, I couldn't even imagine what this must have been like. Evidently, Luke is there and he's writing this. Luke's the one that write, writes the book of Acts. Evidently, he's seeing this. We'll see how firsthand experience of what he's saying here. So they come in with this fantasia. They entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men in the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. When Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had not done anything deserving of death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. So he's getting ready to send him to Rome. <laughs> he didn't have any charges. Like when he gets there to Rome and Caesar looks at him, there's no charges against him. I'm at a loss here. So help me with this, King Agrippa. Here we are, chapter 26. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And here's another indication that Luke is, is witnessing this. because Luke says he stretched out his hand, so he must have been seeing this. So this is like something they did back then. Nobody knows exactly how they did it, but some kind of an oratorical thing that they would do when they would speak. And he began his apologia. Keep saying that because I want you to understand what apologetics are. Because Anyway, okay. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am making my defense today against all these accusations of the Jews. Why? Because... Agrippa is Jewish, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me from a long time. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope 
This hope that they've been going over for thousands and thousands of years. This hope is the Messiah, okay? This hope, what God promised to our ancestors, where was the promise found? Found in the Bible. So what he's going to do right here, he's just going to testify about the Bible and what God has done in his life, the same thing you and I should be doing today. The promise, there it is again. Our 12 tribes hoped and reached, reached for it earnestly. They served him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this. See, over and over again, the promise, the hope, he keeps bringing them back to this. Why do any of you consider it incredible? So now he goes to everybody out there. He's like, everybody said, why do you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? The same reason that whenever you and I hear of or see God do something miraculous, we're like, that is weird. Because even though we know God's all-powerful, whenever he works in something that is supernatural, it is just strange to us. And all you hear, like, when he's talking about if God created everything, think about this, how did God create the world? Spoke it into existence. How did you get here, by the way? He created you. So if God can do that, then what is he incapable of? See, some of y'all, you're worried about the resurrection. I mean, if God created you the first time, it's like there's all these people that are like worried about what's going to happen in the res- what's going to happen in our resurrected body. Let me tell you something. There have been people who are in Christ Jesus that have been dead for a long, long time, and there is just dust. And God made them the first time. He can recreate them the second time, the resurrection. It's going to be a new body. So if God is able to create everything the first time, he can recreate the second time even better. It's going to be a better earth than what we have now. In fact... I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So here we go. The third time Paul tells his testimony. I actually did this in Jerusalem. I locked up many of the saints in prison. See, now, you know, we read that and we're like, oh, yeah, man, those saints. But you just got to understand, back in their time, when they were called saints, they felt the same way about it that you do. Some of you right now, if I said you are a saint, now, now listen, because we have used that with negative connotations even in Christianity. Or you're holier than thou. You just think you're such a saint. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you are a saint. It's your position. I mean, you say, man, I'm not performing like that. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. You may not be performing like that. But your position, legal position is you are holy, a saint. Your sins are totally forgiven. You are, is there therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? So you're sitting here right now, and you're like, and then why do I feel condemned? That's not, listen, it's called conviction, not condemnation. Conviction is what drives us to repentance. It's what drives us to the goodness of God. So if you're feeling today like, man, I feel guilty over my sins, then here's my question to you. Have you confessed it? Have you repented of it? If you haven't repented of it, there's a reason you still feel bad about it. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to drive you to repentance, help you get free from that, to be free. See, listen, when you're in sin, you're in bondage. It's just that simple. When you have forgiven and repented, then you live in freedom. Then you don't struggle over the Bible referring to you as a saint. So they had many saints in prison. Since I had received authority 
For that from the chief priests, when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. So is there, if, listen, if there's anybody that should feel condemned for what they had done, it would be this dude. The Apostle Paul had Christians put to death. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the one who wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. So the Christians were first found in the Jewish synagogues. Don't forget that. Since I was terribly enraged. You know tells me about the Apostle Paul? He didn't do anything halfway. <laughs> like, if he was mad, he wasn't just kind of bad. If he was against something, he was just kind of against it. But see, the thing about that is, is God uses that because when he is for something, he's all in. It's not just, oh, I'm just, oh, you know, Sundays I'm going to be a Christian or whatever. It was like, man, it was seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He was sold out 110%. So I was terribly enraged at them. I pursued them even to foreign cities. He's like, man, Judea could not hold my rage. I was traveling to Damascus under the circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday with hotless and high nude when the sun is the brightest. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. So it takes a bright light when you're out right there at the middle of the day, brightest part of the day, and you see a light that eclipses that light. Okay, here's what you have to understand. If you are in a room that is filled with light and it's dark outside and you open the door, the darkness does not invade the light. Your room doesn't get darker. You know that, right? We all know that. So whenever, listen, it's going to talk about light and darkness in his testimony, the difference between the two. If you've got the light of the Son of God shining in your heart, then the darkness cannot overtake that. Okay? We all, I like, I like this. He didn't just, he, he, Paul's not saying, I'm the one. We all fell to the ground. And I didn't say we. I heard the voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church. I see, listen, we look at that. And that's right, man. Anytime anybody persecutes me, they're persecuting. No, 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 listen. Whenever you do anything, when you persecute you, listen, are you listening to me? We're not talking about everybody else this morning. Remember, we're talking about you right here in your heart. Anytime that you do something against a brother or a sister in Christ, do you realize something? You're doing that against Jesus. Here's what it is. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, some of you don't understand what that means. Here's what he's saying. It's hard for you to bang your head against the wall. Because the harder you bang your head against the wall, the more you hurt yourself. So what he's saying here is saying, listen, Jesus is saying, I am directing your life. And as I'm directing your life, you're fighting against that. Because you don't want what I got for you. You want what you want. Listen, I am guilty of this. When I get my mind made up about something and I'm praying for God's direction, I don't hear God's direction until I finally get my mind changed. He had his mind made up that all the Christians were wrong. So what did God have to do? 
send a light brighter than the sun, knock him off his horse, and really just turn his world upside down to get his attention. It's called a Damascus Road experience. Do you realize something? Our whole world knows what that means. People that don't even go to church know what a Damascus Road experience is. It is a, it's a life-changing, life-altering experience. Some of you, by the way, right here, are this many people in here, I can guarantee you some of you need that right now because you're going your own way and you're banging your head against the wall. Some of you, right, listen, as you woke up this morning and you were getting ready for church, there is just an ache inside your heart and your mind. You don't even know what it is. And listen, the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you right now that ache, that hurt inside of you, that anxiety, that turning and that churning is you fighting against God. It's you trying to go your own way and God is trying to rescue you from yourself. And here you are right now sitting in church, God speaking to your heart, and the question is, can you hear him? Anybody you hearing me? I know I raise my voice and all that stuff. I'm just, I can't help that. I don't know why I do that, but I do. But the question is, can you hear what God is saying to you? And I ask, who are you, Lord? <laughs> he knows. And the Lord replies, I am Jesus, the one. All this stuff you're doing to all that people in the church out there, the one you are persecuting. You're doing it to me. But get up and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Man, that goes for every single one of you too. You know what, you know what God wants from you? God wants you to be a witness. Just that simple. Tell other people what God has done and is doing and will do in your life. That's what God wants from you. You don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to have a prominent place in culture. You just have to share your, be willing to share your story of what God has done and is doing in your life. You can't save anybody. God's the one that does the saving. You just have the great privilege of joining him in what he's doing whenever you share your story and you pray. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them. So pretty much what Paul's saying is, is that God's already promised me he's going to rescue me out of this point right here. Right here in front of you, Agrippa and Festus and all of y'all, I'm going to be rescued. God's already given me the promise right here. Have you got i come back once again. Have you got any promises? Yes. Has God promised you anything? Yes. Do you believe that God is a promise keeper? Yes. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness. There it is right there. From darkness to light. Because listen, when you're in the darkness, you don't know where you're at. Right. I've got, listen, I've got to be, I can't, in the darkness, I can't just be like, okay, this is my situation. Here's my sin. When I'm in darkness, I don't see my sin. I'm comfortable in my sin and my darkness. But man, you take me out of the darkness, you bring me into the light, all of a sudden it exposes all the sin. It exposes everything that's wrong with me. See, right now, I know, listen, I get it. Man, you're like, oh, Lord, here we go. That preacher's going to start telling me everything that's wrong with me. You've got to understand something. That goes for everybody, all of us, all of us, until God does the changing in our heart, we are all messed up. 
It isn't about you, me trying to put you on a guilt trip. Because Listen, I know this much. I've been doing this for 20 years. And I know this. That guilt trip will only work here and now. As soon as you leave this building, you'll get off that guilt trip. But I know this too. I know that apart from my mess-ups and my mistakes and my weaknesses and my inadequacy as a preacher, that the Holy Spirit moves inside of your heart, that when you lay down tonight and you close your eyes, what God's saying to you right here and right now, it'll continue to run through your mind even tonight as you lay down. It will haunt you and it will come after you until you get set free. So turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. See, this is amazing to me right here. You realize something? The only power that Satan has is the power that God allows him to have. And that he does, he, listen, he has power and authority in this. He told Jesus, he said, you know, if you bow down and work, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Jesus didn't sit there and go, no, you don't have any power to do that. He did have that power. He did have that authority. The reason he did and the reason he does is because Adam forfeited it to him in the garden. Here's the good news. Somebody got it back already. Jesus already got it back. Satan is defeated. I don't have to live under his kingdom. I don't have to live under his power, his authority, or his rule. Now I'm in Christ Jesus, but I've got to choose it. It's my choice. Either I choose to live under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, and if I don't, then I live under the power of Satan right here and right now. He is the little G God of this world. And he wants us to stay in darkness and to be deceived. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a message coming to Paul from Jesus. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first. That's where he was. He started preaching right there in Damascus. And to those in Jerusalem, came back to Jerusalem, preached the same thing there, and in the region of Judea and to the Gentiles, that they should, here's the same message you heard from the beginning. You go back to the Gospels, go back to Mark, start reading Mark chapter 1. You'll see this message. Jesus preached this message. John the Baptist preached this message. And now Paul is still preaching this message. Repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. So if I've truly repented, okay, then here's what's going to happen. God's going to do a work in my life that I can't do in my own power. See, some of y'all right now, you got this sin that you can't get rid of. And you're sitting here right now, and you're like, what is wrong? You prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed for God to deliver you from that sin. And you always keep going back to that sin. You're like, what is, I must, I must, I'm a terrible Christian. Or you'd be saying, I must not be a Christian. Okay, so let me just help you with that. Doesn't have anything to do with any of that. What it has to do, everything to do with is this, is your affections. When you start praying for the Holy Spirit to change your affections, then that will change you. Amen. The reason you keep going back to that sin, this is going to hurt your feelings a little bit, but I'm going to have to do it, okay? The reason you keep going back to that is because your flesh likes it. That's right. Okay? Hurt a little more, so hang on a second. Pull your feet back so I don't step on your toes right now, okay? <laughs> the truth of the matter is, 
is that you love that sin more than you love Jesus. When you get that affections changed to where you love Jesus more than you love your sin, then here's what's going to happen. You will start hating that sin. That's the difference right there. Whenever you hate that sin, it no longer has authority and dominion and a hold on you. Now Jesus has got authority and a, dominion and a hold on you that now you hate that sin. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have help from God. Can you say that? Yes. Can you say that about your life? <laughs> you know what? Here, here, let's, you know we got it way too good here, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, you, you parents, you've got some kids that are spoiled rotten. And, and, they, and the reason you know they're spoiled rotten is because when just a little thing goes wrong, they come crying and complaining about that. And see, now, now you see, you, you're, you got enough life experience and you know there's children in this world right now. You probably have even preached this sermon to your kids. There's children in this world, right? They are hungry. They don't have food to eat. And they're allowed to switch places with you. Hmm, y'all preached that sermon before? And we get, you got so much food in your pants, you're trying to keep the kids from eating too much. Perspective. Are you with me now? See, this is what I'm saying right now, is that we have got it so good. You and I, not our kids, you and I, we've got it so good here. We are so blessed that we can't see God who is blessing us. Because we're so focused on our blessings and all the good things God has given us that we're totally ignoring God. Now, God, help us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lots. Man, don't let me be spoiled, God, and just totally ignore you. Don't let me get so wrapped up in the good gifts you've given me that I forget you, that you're the giver of all these things. This very day I've had help from God, and I can stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the Bible, the prophets, and Moses said would take. I'm just... Do I just preaching the Bible? So you say that you believe that the, the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God? That your issues with, with it's not with me, it's with the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible has said. That the Messiah would suffer. See, for us today, we're like, yeah. But for them back then, they did not understand that the Messiah was going to suffer. That's the part they missed. When they read their Old Testament, they read the prophecies, they didn't connect the dots and see that the Messiah was going to suffer. That the Messiah would suffer. And that as the, as the, as the first to rise from the dead, that's a resurrection, that he would proclaim what? Look at that. Light to our people and to the Gentiles. Nobody's getting upset on this day when, when Paul's talking about the Gentiles because... They're all Romans around him. The Jews there, they're, they're, the visitor, they're the visiting team, okay? As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, remember, he's talking to Agrippa, okay? This is Festus's court. Though. He's kind of sitting off the side, okay? So he, Festus hears about as much as he can stand. Festus exclaims in a megatephone, megaphone, in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. That's all I can handle right there. Stop. Why? Because we just talked about resurrection. Yep. Well, yeah, you believe in God? 
You got faith? I don't have any, the world has no problem with that. You start talking about Jesus and resurrection, and all of a sudden you're talking about a whole different kind of faith, and you're talking about something now that upsets everybody that's not in Christ Jesus. He said this, too much study is driving you mad. Y'all ever been there before? Really? And yeah, you ever studied so much that you like lost your mind? It can happen. I mean, like that, we look at that and we're like, nobody said that. Going, that couldn't happen. That could happen. I'll show you what it says in Greek. Pola, that's too much right here. Say, and here's the interesting thing right here, grammatica, grammar, too much reading and writing. This is what he said, too much reading and writing. Right here, this right here, it's, it's driving, it's pushing, it's pushing you into ace, into manian, mania. I mean, it's just all this reading and writing, you know, Paul, it's driving you to a mania. And the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know this, the very power of God. Okay. But Paul replied, I'm not, I'm not getting no mania in me. I'm not, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. The Greeks talks about in humility, okay? Back to our text. For the king knows about these matters. He's talking to Festus. He's like, Agrippa knows about this. And I can speak boldly to him. For I'm convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice since this was not done in a corner. Everybody has seen, heard of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then Pentecost. When the church was born. Everybody, this is common knowledge in the Jewish people. King Agrippa, do you have faith? Do you believe the Bible? Do you, listen, you're the Jewish king. Do you believe the Bible's the inerrant, authoritative word of God? What's he gonna say on that? Nah. But what if he says yes? If he says yes, he walked right into Paul's trap. So he can't say no and he can't say yes. He says, I know you believe. Paul didn't even give him a chance to answer. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to be a Christian so easily? Okay, so one of the hardest verses to translate in the New Testament, okay? Because some of y'all, y'all been around a long time, you know what the King James Version says. Almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. Now you look at all the other, you, you'll read almost every translation you read will translate this verse differently. And here's why I can tell you they do that. Because it's almost untranslatable to us to English, Okay? So now, some of you are thinking, oh, good, David's going to tell us what it really means. <laughs> Here's what I can tell you. That's a negative connotation right there. Second time you see this used in the book of Acts, two times it's used. It's used, Christians used in a negative way. It's not calling him a name. So Here's what I can tell you. Nobody knows exactly how to translate this first, but I can tell you this much. What? Agrippa is saying, is saying in a negative way, you think you're going to make me a Christian? However you want to put that, however it's going to be translated, it's in a negative way. Now, let me show you something right quick. Excuses, okay? Because this is really what this is, and it's, it's an excuse. The Felix excuse, I'm too busy to listen to Christ. It's not convenient. You ever been there before? You ever been too busy? The Festus excuse, I'm too intelligent to listen to Christ. I'm not convinced. A lot of people in our world today right there, 
the Agrippa excuse is, I am too important. Man, he is the, he is the king of Israel to listen to Christ. It doesn't concern me. And do we still see those three excuses played out in our world today? I pray to God. I wish to God's what we, we use in the Christian Standard Version, and man, it's not even close. It's a new English translation, and what he's saying is, I pray to God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these change. I want all of you to be transformed like I've been transformed. See, because when, you, when you've been transformed, when you went from the darkness to the light, you want everybody else to come into the light too, don't you? Yeah. I mean, like, when you got friends and family that are in the darkness and they're in bondage and they're lost and they're headed for hell and you're in the light and you've been set free and you've got love, joy, and peace running through your heart, you want all of them to come in there with you. That is just natural. And that's what he's saying right here. Man, I wish that all of you, I pray to God, because I know that if I'm not praying to God, it won't happen. See, right now, you, those people that are lost, what, do you, what can you do for them? It's not about you intellectually convincing them of where they're at. It's about you praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal them and draw them and give them a desire to come into the light with you. See, some of you right now, you're frustrated too because you've seen people come into the light with you and go back to the darkness. Once again, the only thing you can do for them is pray for them. It's going to take God's supernatural work for them to come into the light and to stay there. It's for you too. You, it's a supernatural God for you to stay there in the light too. I mean, I'm telling you, listen, we should be a whole lot happier than we are that we even wanted to be here this morning. Then the king, the governor, and the Bernice, all of them, they said, let's sit down here and let's intellectually talk this through. Let's be mature about this and let's just see. You know what they did? They did the junior high girl thing and they got up and they left. <laughs> if you're a junior high girl, don't be offended. You'll be all right. And when they left, they talked with each other and they said, man, this man didn't do anything deserving death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, man, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. But you know why? He didn't want to be Because Jesus already told him, you are going to Rome. He's not wanting to be released. You know what's going to happen? He's going to have, Rome is going to pay his way to go to Rome. And they're going to have a whole bunch of guards. He's going to ride on the Roman ship, paid for, all of his food paid for, and people are going to be guarding his life where nobody can hurt him. So God's going to get him there, and Rome's going to pay for it. So what like, what like Paul was spent that day going, man, I missed my chance. Paul sitting back that day laughing, going, yeah, man, here we go. God's got this figured out. Rome's going to pay for it. So God's at work right now, amen? He's at work. He's been at work. He always will be at work. But see, you've got some work that you've got to do also. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, but wait, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So I see both God work and I see our work. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who is doing the work? You say both of us are. 
that God's doing the work, but I've got responsibility on my side. So there's something that links them together, and it's grace and it's faith. That's why it links these two together. And here's the situation. This all comes from God, but it's my responsibility to develop them, to grow in them. So can't you sit there and go, oh, well, I'm saved, man. I'm going to heaven. You know, God did all the work. I agree with you, David. God does all the work, man. I'm just going to let. No, no. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you're here today and you're saved. There should be a desire. You, listen, it amazes me when I read the Puritan preachers. These are the preachers from the 17 and 1800s. I promise you this much they would never survive in our American churches today. If we turned them loose and got them up here preaching in front of us, we would probably, most of us, would get up and walk out because it would be too much for us to handle. And here's what I'm thinking. I think, okay, well, if I go back a little further before them to the early church, then, then they were softer, and they were even harder. The closer you get back to the very beginning of the New Testament church, to be like, man, I mean, the harder the preaching, and they're like, man, this Christianity stuff is not a joke. It's for real. It's hard work. Nothing easy about it. And here we got today, to our culture, world you and I live in, live your best life now. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you be blessed, and you just thank God for all you got, and he's going to give you more. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to get that promotion. You're going to get a job with a great attitude. You're gonna... I know I'm mocking, but you know what? It drives me nuts. I'm just telling you, it drives me nuts. Man, look at this. I say, God, how did we, how did we get so far in this direction? You know what it is? It's because we're spoiled. We've got this entitlement as Americans. Pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. And don't you tell me what I'm going to do. And then whenever we come in here and we say, God is sovereign. He wants you doing what he I can do what God wants me to do. I'm my own person. I can do what I want to do. <laughs> and we're banging our head against the wall. And there's this ache inside of our heart, and we don't even know what it is. And we take these pills to try to cure this ache, and God is trying to draw us to ourself. So what is saving faith? So if I turned you loose here right now, and you walked out the door, and you went to wherever you're going, and there's somebody there that does not have saving faith, and they said, okay, well, there's faith and saving faith, so which one have I got? Tell me, how do I know? What would you tell them? Would you be able to help him with that? Yeah. First one, faith in Jesus as your Lord, King, and treasure. I don't know, I capitalize, I don't know if that's grammatically right, but I've never seen anybody capitalize treasure, but I just thought, you know, I don't just want to leave us here with Lord and King, but I mean, there's something of value. See, that we miss, see, back in their day, when there's a Lord and a King, they valued that. But see, you and I live in a culture today where we've got political leaders that we don't value. So for us to say, Lord and King, also have to understand something that we got we value Jesus as our Lord and our King. I'm thankful that I live under His. He's not going to mislead me in His kingdom. He's not going to take advantage of me in His kingdom. He loves me more than anybody's ever loved. He's laid down His life for me. I value that kind of a King. Now, here's a question. Are your affections being transformed? We talked about that a while ago. Am I loving my sin or am I hating my sin? And that's tough, but that's the truth right there. If you're sitting here right now and you're like, man, there's that besetting sin. Well, I'm asking you, do you love it? You say, no, I don't love it. I hate it. Then why do you keep doing it? Because you love it. <laughs> okay? 
So I gotta have my affections. Man, listen, there's something super, if you're, listen, tomorrow morning, if you wake up early and you get your Bible out and you start praying and reading your Bible first thing in the morning, that's the supernatural work of God in your life, man. You should be like rejoicing over that and be like, okay. Here's the last one right here. Do tests and trials develop or destroy your faith? So when you hit hard times, if you get mad and you start blaming God and you start pulling away from God, that's a sign that should concern you. But if when you hit hard times, tests and trials, if you draw in closer to God, if you pray harder, if you depend more on him, that's a good sign that your faith is in the right place. Let's all stand this morning. So you think about this. Just this, consider something for a moment. And I know that some of you have been in church your whole life, and you, like me, years ago, you sat in church, and a preacher did to you what I'm about to say, and they were doing it to manipulate and to scare you. Okay? I know that a lot of you, you don't really know me, but here's what I can tell you, okay, from my heart. I would never want to do either one of those. I have no interest in scaring you, manipulating you. Man, I mean, listen, this is the business between you and God. I have nothing to do. It's none of my business. My business is just to tell you the truth. Lay it out there in front of you. I got to answer to God for every breath, everything I utter in front of you. One of these days, I will give an account for what I'm about to say to you right now, and I fully am aware of that. But here's what I got to say. Are you guaranteed the rest of this day? So I just heard a whole bunch of people say no. So how important is your eternal life to you? If you could step over into eternity today, it's a possibility. You just said that. It's a possibility that you could step over into eternity today. Are you ready? Like, if you stepped over today, I mean, it was like, man, I am glad I got everything taken care of because I am ready today to step over. I mean, if you're, sitting here to, you're standing right here, and you're like, hmm, <laughs> I would hate to see Jesus right about now, to tell you the truth, David. Then here's my question. Why would you leave this room in that condition? Why would you even live your life in that condition? Okay, I'm just going to hurt your feelings again. It's because you're selfish. It's because you're concerned more about yourself than anybody or anything else. And it's going to end in a bad place for you. If you can really stand here right now and you can say, man, listen, I value and I treasure King Jesus. I am thankful for my salvation. I am thankful that I've been forgiven of all of my sins. I am thankful today that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And there's peace between me and God. If he calls me home today, then I'm going in celebrating. See, that's a life lived with no fear. That's a life that can stand up against cancer, that can stand up against divorce, that can stand up against debt, 
the worst that this world can present to you. And instead of destroying it, all it will do is develop it. So I'm asking you, is that the kind of faith that you want? It's yours to take. It's just up to you. Are you banging your head against the wall? Is there an ache inside of you? Then I would just pray, God, just reveal to me what it is. Can you do that right now? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Are you unsure of your salvation? Do you cry out to God right now in your heart to reveal to me, Lord, where I truly stand with you? Is there anything between me and you, God? See, some of you right now, when you just prayed that sin, something just popped right into your mind. Some of you, before you even said that, it was there. Some of you, you've confessed it a million times, and you're tired. You're like, man, I don't think God wants to hear me confess that again. Okay, so he does. But this time when you confess it, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Confess it and then ask God to grant you repentance from that sin. Ask God to change and reorder your affections and your loves. Can you pray, God, I realize that my loves are disordered, that I'm loving this sin or this thing or this person more than you. God, reorder that in the right order. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit, singular. It means you've got them all if you're in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, these have not been manifesting in my life towards, you fill in that blank there? I pray that you do the supernatural work of manifesting the through the Holy Spirit in my life towards. Help me to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ concerning, you fill in that blank. So if you are saved and you're in Christ Jesus, then we commune with the Lord almost every Sunday, and we're going to do it again this Sunday. So the communion elements are at the front, and there's right in front of the sound booth is another one. So if you want to send someone from your family, and once they're sent, you can have a seat.
So um, if you've got this, then that means that you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not saved, then you shouldn't be taking communion because you're not communing with the Lord. This is for people who are saved that are in Christ Jesus. So if you are saved, you're in Christ Jesus, and you have got the elements there with you, then let me read this before we open up. Here's what. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and open up. Take the bread. So as you look at that bread, what do you remember? When you remember Jesus, what are you remembering? We are remembering his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. 100% God, 100% man. His life was given so you could be forgiven. It's a new covenant of grace. See, so some of you, as we've been preaching here, and talking about these verses, you've thought about the grace of God in your life, and you're thankful for that. That bread, this bread represents that grace. So one of the things we do as a church is we pray together when we commune together. So if you feel comfortable with praying with me, you'll just repeat after me out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. You are my God, my King, and my treasure. Thank you for your body. I take and I eat in faith. Let's eat, church. See, look at the screen, please. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and open up the juice. So looking at that juice, this represents the new covenant. As Jesus held that cup before the apostles that night, he said it represents the new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This mighty work that Christ did for you on the cross was the forgiveness of all of your sins. So you think about this as you look at that juice. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that includes that sin that you just thought about. It comes under the blood, under the atoning blood of Jesus, the covering. That means that it's covered, it's paid for fully. So you have been forgiven 100% if you're in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to you? How valuable is that to you? 
So now you're at peace with God. To pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. I now proclaim you as my king, my God, and my treasure. I take and I drink in faith. Let's drink, church. If you would, let's stand, please. So I'm just remembering when I told y'all that I was going to cover two, sa- two chapters and there was a sigh, a groan that went through the church. And you just, you just were a part of a miracle of God. We made it. Yeah, I will um, cover two chat. I'll be out next week. Tim Ramos will be preaching. I know that sometimes, sometimes some of the church leaders are like, David, don't tell people. But I was in your shoes once, and I'd come to church. I'd be like, why, did they, why didn't they tell us? So anyway, so come support Tim. Pray for Tim this week. Be here to support. I know you will be. That's why I know I can tell you, because I see when I'm gone, I look, and I see, you're still here? You're not here for me? Thank God you're not here for me. So I want to pray over you before you leave out. This is a prayer from number 6, 24 through 26. So I just pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that the Lord will make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and he will give you peace as you go in Jesus' name. God bless you guys.